Todd Ennis, From Trials to Triumph. Turn your life around and be better for it. Hear from those who've done it tough and triumphed. Hear how you can do the same. Welcome to the podcast. You've joined us for the story of Todd Ennis. This is the start of the journey of the podcast and we're going to start off with Todd. Hello. Tell us a little bit about you. So your company, Love Your Mind Australia. Yeah, let's start there. That's a great place to start. So Love Your Mind Australia is a wellbeing company that I've created. Yeah. Um, And there's there's many sort of branches to that company, but Growth Mindset, I have an eight pillar wellbeing model that I encourage people to follow and challenge themselves to live daily, yeah. to live well. Yeah. Um, and I've got this podcast since I've met you that I've uh, attached to the business as well. And um, I really enjoy that and hearing people's stories and where they've come from with their trials to triumph. But I think if I'm going to do this properly, I must tell my story first. And 100%. And these stories that you're going to listen to in Todd's podcast are beautiful because they're really personal and hopefully you get something out of these people that we have on the show being so candid. So Todd is going to be the first cab off the rank. This is number one of the first season. So tell us the story of your life. We're going to start with some of your earliest memories. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they're not great memories. So um, my first memories as a six or seven-year-old child were um, up in uh, Sawtell, which is a place in Coffs Harbour, um, and it was very traumatic for me, and it it relates to sexual abuse as a child. So child sex abuse, um, I was... I was meant to be being cared for um, after school while mum and dad were at work. And the guy that was doing the aftercare stuff um, was physically abusing myself and one of the girls and her brother from down the street. Um, and I don't remember how long it went on for. Um, sadly, I do remember a lot of the details of acts that I was, um, I, I was forced to participate in. So they were my first sort of memories, unfortunately, as a young child. And what can you remember around that in terms of being so young and where you grew up and setting the scene? And did you tell your parents about it at the time? No, because you don't really know what's normal at that age. You don't know. It's very young. You you just don't know. So the stuff that he was getting us to do, obviously, I didn't know was wrong. And I didn't know other than, you know, it was just what we were doing after school why it was me I don't know um I didn't tell mum and dad about it because I didn't I didn't really um yeah I don't remember why I didn't tell them but it did come up at a, yeah. at a family barbecue once and and it didn't come up through me it came up from my brother he mentioned it so your brother was involved I don't think so I don't think he was involved at all he he knew about it because he's at the child care center with me but he mentioned it to mum and that's when it became clear that what was happening wasn't right yeah and action was taken and the guy was imprisoned uh put in imprisonment really um and what happened to him i couldn't tell you i've i've heard um and i'd rather not say who i heard through but that my father took care of this guy okay um and i'll talk to you a bit more about dad later on but um yeah that's what that's unfortunately what my earliest memories are. So I'm a child of sex abuse victim. Wow. And you're, you, I can honestly say as someone who knows you, you are such a strong man now. You've really got yourself to a place 
so many years later as a strong father, as, you know, someone that people can look up to in community. Uh, that must have been so much work. So congratulations on doing it. Yeah, thanks so much. It's really nice for someone to say that because it's taken so much work um, and a lot of it you have to do yourself. Unfortunately, it does take a long time. So a lot of a lot of bridges have been burned or people have been hurt along the way dealing with that trauma. Um, there's a lot of things that you, you know, you're sorry for and you regret, but at the same time... To get to this point at 41 now, I, I don't know if I would change anything because I'm so happy now and for someone like yourself to be able to say you see a proud, strong person in front of them. That and means, a strong dad, a great dad. Yeah, that's... <laughs> we meant to cry on this one. <laughs> Look, my father... Uh, yeah, because we're going to go into your family life and the way you are as a dad is very different from your father and your experience of family life growing up. Right? Yeah. 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 Sorry, Mel. No. What are those For a long time, I only thought yeah. that's the, the only thing I thought I was good at was was being a dad. Yeah. Because I am a good dad. <clears throat> Still a good dad today. But yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's, it's a, the hardest thing you can do. Being yeah, a parent. it's my greatest achievement, and it, yeah, it is. It is definitely the hardest thing you do. And there is, I say to people, there's no manual or no book that shows you how you're supposed to raise your kids. But I reckon through your past parents and your experiences with them, that certainly shows you a, a better way to parent. Yeah. Yep. So is it too much? Can you tell us about yeah. your, your experiences growing up? Yeah, You sure. said your mum was... Super strong soldier. and a great mum. Yeah, yeah, soldier. Um, yeah, so look, from, from that first um, experience into life, you know, it was best that we moved out of the community. It was it was oh, something mum yeah. and dad wanted for us to yeah. get away from that area. So we moved to Coffs Harbour. Um, dad was a poker machine salesman. So there was a lot more work in Newcastle with clubs and stuff for him and it was a fresh start. Can you remember how that felt as a kid? Did your mind go back to the trauma much or did you find that you, you blocked it out? Yeah, I blocked it out. Yeah. Yep, straight away. Um, it was something that was never spoken about in our family, never got spoken about. And it was only as I got older um, and that I was, you know, in, in some serious trouble and having some mental health issues yeah. and seeing um, therapists and that, that it, it was something that needed to be talked about and addressed and it came up and I had to go back and have those conversations with mum and get the truth yeah. you know so that was when I really started to and now it's, it's it's a lot more clear in my mind it's not something I don't think about all the time okay. I do think about it okay regularly yeah how has that helped <sighs> probably not hey yeah probably not I'd rather not think about it but the fact that I do know about it and I know what had happened and why it sort of um, contributed to a lot of my violence and anger. Yeah. Uh, probably my addiction towards girls at a young age too. Like I had this really strong connection towards girls yeah. and wanting to do those sort of things with yeah. them at a young age because yeah. that's what had happened to me. Yeah. You know? So. It made you understand yourself a lot better. Yeah, pretty quickly, yep. Yep. But I live with it. Um, I've, I've dealt with it, I believe, but it's part of me now. Yeah. I, you know, um, I did a podcast recently with uh, Russell Manser, and he's a he's a victim himself 
and he had a really good phrase. He said that, um, you know, there, there's that's their story for what they did. It's not ours. Yeah. You know, that's what they did to us. Not, mm. not it's not our fault. Um, and that's just the way you got to approach it. And how was your life in Newcastle? Yeah, life in Newcastle. So it, it was a great fresh start when you got introduced to rugby league. So we were BMX bike riders in uh, Coffs Harbour and we became rugby league footballers up here and we fitted in really well. Um, we found pretty quickly that we we're good at rugby league. When I say we, me and my brother. Yeah. And that was a – you found strength there in the tribe of yeah, the, the, tribe, the club yeah. and the – Working as part of a team. That's exactly right, yeah. Yep. And I didn't realise that at the time until I was older, how important multiple numbers around me was was something I craved. Yeah. Because of your home life, you didn't have that to fall back on. So tell us a little bit about your your situation with your parents at home. Yeah, so, um, so Dad was a poker machine salesman, so he was a heavy drinker. He was involved in the club's on a daily basis so selling poke machines drinking with ceos and managers and selling machines was his day um, but he'd have to come home as well and he was a a really really violent um, father not just towards mum but towards me and my brother predominantly me um, but mum she used to stick up for me a lot um, and she would cop physical abuse a lot weekly and I don't know whether it was that era where it was sort of more accepted or not, but there was oh. no consequences for dad. Yeah, it was brushed under the carpet. It was, more, it was, yeah. and women want to stay with their man because they wanted to raise their kids. And women would stay with a violent man because they had no way out because they were being a full time carer for the kids. Mm. Often they had no income to support them, and they yeah. knew if they left that man, that would have consequences for their children. Yeah, so. You know, he would be at the pubs on Friday nights. That was his right. You know, he could just go and drink whenever he wanted, come home whenever he wanted. Um, I don't think he really wanted to be a dad. I think he wanted to be an alcoholic who was at down the pub with the boys fighting and telling them bullshit stories about the underworld that he was hanging out with and that, which which he was. I found out later on in life he was a, a debt collector for an underworld figure. So we spent a lot of time in Sydney. I used to find little bits of cash and shit in his... Um, <laughs> In his um, cupboard and stuff too. I never, yeah. never really knew why, but I, I think I can put it all together now. Yeah. So he loved violence. Mm. He thought it was great to be that guy that everyone was scared of and feared. He loved that in the community. He probably fed his ego. Oh, probably. 100%. Yeah. He loved it. He, um, he And how it. was his life growing up? Was it that, that something he mirrored? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Massively. Mm. His father was just as violent as he was in a different era where that shit happened all the time but his era was was breaking uh his dad's era my dad's era was you know breaking ribs and popping eye sockets and breaking legs and that to their partners whereas dad was just backhanding and this is the sort of shit i had to put up with my god so watching your mother get strangled right and you can't fucking do a thing about it being too scared to sit at the dinner table, not using knife and fork correctly because he's drinking or you're talking when he's talking. It was nothing to get a hit in the head with a fucking placemat or whatever he could get his hand on. He's throwing dinner plates at us. He was just a fuckwit of a dad. He was so bad. And that had that had huge implications on me growing up. Mm. And your brother, did you seek solace together yeah, and bind yeah, together yeah, we as did. you got older? We did. We, we, we stuck together. 
I think he saw a real strength in my brother because Michael was sort of straight up into his face, even though he couldn't do anything. Whereas I used to go and sort of hide in my bedroom because I was so scared of him. Oh. And I, that, I carried that. Even, even today, I still have dreams that I'm trying to help at home and I can't move my fists because they're too heavy oh. or he's got hold of me and I can't get out. Um, you know, or, or, or we're trying to run away from him, but he's gaining on us. I, I have these stupid dreams. They say that we work out a lot of our trauma through sleep and we work – that is part of the process of healing. Mm-hmm. Did you remember as a kid having a lot of nightmares? Yeah, I did. And, and you know what? I've only said this to my wife recently. Um, our kids have never come into our bedroom at night scared or – Asked us to put him back to bed. Now, that's all I did. And so did my brother, right? So, I've never really thought of it until you just said that. But we were only talking about this uh, the other week. And um, I was constantly waking up terrified and running into mum's side of the bed to lay on her floor. Even if I just laid on the floor, I felt safe. But then one of us would have to go to his side of the bed because there was two of us. Wow. And we were so scared to go to his side of the bed, we'd actually just push up against each other in the wall just so we didn't have to go to his side of the bed um and it didn't it didn't matter if he was snoring his head off or he was drunk or whatever we just needed to be near mum because we couldn't even stay in our own bed how how common were those nightmares for you all the time yeah all the time but we were i I didn't realize when i had kids i thought shit we just got through that baby stage now we can um sleep properly but then i thought oh no hang on when i was growing up i was so in mum's bed and terrified all the time laying on the floor even and i thought no no we've got to go through it again but we haven't had our kids once you know i've got a son who's 14 and a daughter who's 11 they've never once been into our bedroom and asked to put them back to bed because they've had nightmares because they feel safe they feel safe yeah they feel super safe and the safety is just so important for kids well yeah definitely yeah and you found that with your tribe with NRL and other sports. Yeah, yep. You yep. did cross-country too, did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I, look, I did every sport because yeah. I was really naturally gifted at it. Yeah. And I loved it. Mm. Um, yeah, I loved the feeling of doing something good for yourself and other people recognising that and seeing you as someone special, I guess. So tell us about some of your sporting achievements. What were you up to sporting when you got to Sporting achievements. Newcastle? I love the rugby league. Um, with, when I did BMX, I was actually um, the fifth best in the world. Wow. So I represented amazing. Australia in Brisbane in 1988 um, in the under-8s like, or something, <laughs> under-7s, under-8s. Wow. But, um, yeah, so I was a good BMX rider. So to come to Newcastle and have to give that away because sport was always on Saturdays, so it was BMX, so it was rugby league, but we wanted to try it. Just for 12 months, we loved it. So we never went back to riding bikes. Okay. Um, but I was really good at football. I was really gifted with natural talent. I just found it easy just to breeze through those early ages without learning key values um, of hard work. I sort of just swung through the breeze with my talent. talent. Natural talent, yeah. yes. Whereas if I was to compare to my brother, he was a very hardworking, strong mentally, strong physically dominant um footballer through hard work and that's where i think dad resonated with him okay he saw that there were a lot of his traits he liked that whereas he saw me as a bit of a flashy score a lot of tries not really stop a lot of tries sort of guy because i was um skillful but not a hard worker aggressive type player that he wanted when you say that you weren't a hard worker Mm. when did awareness 
around all of that come out? Did you know from a young age that you were getting by through natural talent? No, not really. I just knew I just knew how to cut corners. Like I, I, I would, if, for an example, you know, if you were to go and do say ten one hundred meter sprints, for example, I'd go and do seven and say I did ten, um, and then go home and say, oh, you did my training today and. I guess on the other side, my brother would probably do 10 and say, can we do more next time? Yeah, like that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. But I didn't know it was just because of natural talent. It was just a habit I was developing. Mm. Um, and I've got a quick story to tell you about when the first time I actually remember uh, cutting a corner and getting away with it. Yeah. So I was a great cross-country runner um, and I was a representative of the school. I was the only one going up to a – so you go through school zone yep. and then you go to regional. Yes. But you've got to qualify in certain – Yeah, amount. of course. Yeah. yeah, so to get to regional is really challenging. Of course. To get to state is a whole new ball game. And at the little Catholic school that I went to, uh, they hadn't had a representative at the state before. So I was at the regional, all these hopes, all this pressure to do well. And if I was fair income and hard work, I would have probably done it yes. without having to cut corners. But as the story goes, and it's a true story – Probably um, became a bit of a habit, right? Yeah, oh shit, yeah. Doing it all the time. Yeah, especially after this. So anyway, I've got to Singleton to the army barrack, army barracks where I, the race was. I've taken off. I've sprinted really hard. Um, and I got to about one kilometre into a three kilometre run. And I was just so gassed. I was so out of steam. And I quit. And I stopped. And I watched the group that I was with in front of me just go off the distance. And there was no point going back now. I'd, I'd fucked it, you know what I mean? So on this straight, there was a huge straight and it went right up around the back of a big bush and then it came back down a straight. And so the group had gone. I was sit, sitting down crying, sulking in pity that I'd stopped, worrying about how dad was going to react when I got home. I had all these thoughts. Um, so anyway, the thought crossed my mind to lay down in this bush, which was where the track was, right, right in the middle of the track was a bush. It's huge, right? It was Sorry, it's actually quite <laughs> There's trees, you long are grass. You are funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, I've, I, I wouldn't say slithered like a snake, but I've crawled into the bush and just laid on my back as if, if anyone sees me, I'm just getting my wind back in my lungs. But there was no one there to, like, there was no one there to check on me there was no one there <laughs> officials there on the on the on the field or yeah. whatever like so anyway the girls group go past and they're, they're they're going fucking flat out for the finish and i'm like i wonder if when the boys group go past if they'll notice if i jumped out just and just in. blended in like i'll just see and then as they got close i didn't have a choice in my mind like the choice was made but i didn't have time to pull out i'm like fuck it let's just go so First seven go to state, and the first group of about four or five, I think it was five, but they were, they were like miles ahead. Yes. So I let them go. Yeah. And then I jumped in with a, the next group of about four or five guys behind them. Yeah. Knowing that I'm in about yeah. ninth place. Yeah. So I fucking sprinted Mel, fully fresh, the last probably 400 meters. And I picked up those spots and I came in at sixth. <laughs> and um, no one said a fucking word, not one person. Because the front group that I was with, they didn't know I was behind them. And then the group that was behind them, they were so far behind them, they didn't know who was in front of them. So I just floated in. I've come six. I've gone to the state and I was a school hero. My old man was so proud of me. Um, and I didn't fucking tell a soul. I just lived with it. I was like, mad. this is great. 
So that's a true story. But then I went to state and got belted. Like I think I came like 50th out of 55 or something. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to run it because there was officials everywhere. So... But you yeah. could have had a dodgy knee that day. Oh, fuck. But in, that showed you what was possible, right? You know what yeah. it did? It showed me that you can actually cheat, get away with it. And I didn't realise that that was the, the real foundation of a lot of corner cutting throughout my whole life, not just sport, relationships, um, work, um, sport, you know, e- even even socialising, you know, like there was ways to, to cut corners financially as well yeah so yeah so from that early life of doing really well in nrl having extreme talent and then in other sports and then your brother went on to play yeah full time Mm -hmm. and you what happened then you yeah, so so we'll skip through the teenage years. Yeah. Um, my brother was was you know making a lot of rep sides, and I wasn't, um, and I had a lot of excuses and blame around that. I'm thinking, yeah. well, you know, I'm I'm the talented one. Like, I'm not saying he didn't have talent; he was very good. Yeah, he worked hard, he, and he turned out to be you know extremely good. But it was all on the back of hard work as yeah. well. Um, and we sort of got through the teenage years. He was in the rep systems. I was starting to find colourful characters as I worked out later was important to me to have numbers, um, strength in numbers for me because I was so... So it's tri- more of that tribe stuff, finding your tribe again. So it is more of that that you experience in the NRL, but just in a different capacity. Yeah, so the junior years for me was, um, yeah, definitely because the way that dad sort of was with me and, you know, that led to a lot of violence at school and the streets mm. and I never had someone to turn to. You saw that maybe... At home, that was normal to you too. It was normalised, let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And, yeah, the the violence just continued for me. I, I found out that I was enjoying it. I liked yeah. it. I liked the way it made me feel. I liked doing well at it. And I also thought that it was impressing young girls and women that I, yeah. I was in, you know, being a protector and quite a strong figure. I thought that was the way to go. Did you find it? cathartic sort of like it was healing your trauma at the time or is it yeah. hard to well, it was giving yeah. me a huge rush and i liked yeah. it you know i liked the feeling of um stepping up when a lot of people won't step up you know a lot of people avoid conflict but i enjoyed it yeah um, so you sort of found you were being that strong person you couldn't be during your youth maybe yeah i reckon really? i reckon yeah. a lot of that hiding from dad and fear of him i was letting that out um and i and i found that i was using violence to impress older figures um, in my life, you know, everyone sort of saw being tough and, and that was was important. You know, you got yeah. you got respect from that. Yeah. Mm. So you were once again um, there. You'd built your own family, your own tribe. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. everything I wanted, you yeah. know. So football for me went by the wayside. I started partying a lot, drinking a lot, again fighting and carrying on. Um, meeting girls, meeting women. Which a lot of people do in their 20s, let's not forget. 100%. Most people just miss most of their 20s. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's nothing unusual, but it was a little bit more for you. Yeah, exactly. You're taking um, it a step further. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, when Dad passed away, I sort of had to go and, I had to go and identify Dad's body and all that sort of stuff. And that was hard, but it was also a huge relief as well. But I used that as an excuse to continue drinking that because it was like my given right, Dad's died. Let's get fucked up. Yeah. And I continued that for ages with my brother used that as fuel. He kept pursuing his dreams, so training hard. He'll never be like that. He's Yeah, you know, going exactly. Down and he was yeah. sacrificing along the way. And eventually I got to an age where I was about 21 and I went, you know, 
I've got, I want to give it one more shot to chase the dream that me and my brother set out for, which was to play in the NRL. Are you a business that would like to partner with us to improve the mental health of our community? Discover the power of podcast sponsorship. Email us with the subject sponsor. Reach out to contact at loveyourmindaustralia.com.au with the subject sponsor to find out more. And I changed my surroundings. I left the Toronto area that where I was at and I came over to, to Belmont and sort of challenged myself. I Took trained. yourself out of the... Yeah, I trained Adam, really hard that, and um, yeah. I got an opportunity to, to go to the North Sydney Bears and actually get close to fulfilling my dream and uh, once I got down there and a new surrounding and that, old habits came back and yeah. I started trying to impress people with the same old shit um, and eventually I got a tap on the shoulder one day and they said, listen, you're not required to be here anymore and I'm like, what was that? You know, look, I'm, I'm a talented football, this is my dream, this is what I'm meant to be doing. How, how are you going to tell me that? They said, you don't have the qualities to be... An NRL football, I'm So sorry. it wasn't about wasn't the about game. the on-field ability. And everyone yeah. said that to me growing up. Everyone sort of said, geez, you've got some ability, but you need to work on your attitude. And I used to think, fuck, what the fuck are you Piss talking off. about? <laughs> Shut up, you know, like, just because you weren't good. You know what I mean? I had that yeah. bad attitude. Yeah. Um, but now, when you look back, people are trying to help. Okay. So where to from the Bears? Yeah, so I came back to Newcastle, tail between legs, heaps of excuses as to why I didn't make it, blamed the coaching staff, blamed management, it was never my fault. None of it ever was. It was always someone else's fault. So straight back into Newcastle, straight back into the, the party scene. That you were in before. I realised that I was done and dusted. So there was a real... Um, Another excuse to go hard. 100%. Yeah. And my whole life I'd wanted to be an NRL star and now I couldn't be one. So what was I going to do? Fucking give up. So I did, and when with all the partying and the non-working and the laziness and the blame, yeah, because in the past you'd probably had that sport element, right? And yeah. then the unhealthier you get, that breeds so many problems, mental it does. health problems. Well, that's yeah. that's why my first pillar, which I'll talk about later, is physical well-being. I think that's the most important thing that I can encourage people to do is be active, because once you become unactive and lazy, that leads to a lot of mental health problems. Yeah. But for me, Mel, that's what happened. I partied hard. I blamed. Um, I became extremely lazy. Um, and you know, when you when you're partying, you know, can only you can only be up for so long, and there's got to be a down. And and for me, the downs were starting to really outweigh the highs, and uh, I didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. So. Um, when did your lowest point come? Do you remember a certain day, or do you remember a few occasions where you just went? I'm not up for this anymore. Yeah. Well, mate, f for a long period of time, you know, I couldn't go and socialise correctly without, you know, stimulating uh, myself through, you know, drugs or alcohol. And I um, I would feel great on the weekend. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I could barely move. I'd barely eat, barely train, sleep, too anxious to leave the house. You know, like there were so many bad things that were coming with it. Yeah. And then I started having thoughts about what it might be like to, you know, lay in front of a train or something like that, you know, because I lived near Cardiff train station for a while. And I used to say to mum, I'm going to go and do that, you know, and I just, I, I didn't know how to get out of it. Did you find that your trauma from the past was floating back on top of that to compound those feelings? I, I didn't at that time. What, what was happening was they were just flicking me off to, um, to see like psychologists. Psychiatrists? Psychiatrists, yeah. Okay. 
Did you try medication? Did yeah, they try that's medicate exactly you? Exactly what they yeah. did. They just yeah. said you need you need to be medicated, mate. Um, so I did that, and that just took my whole personality yeah. away from me. Hundred percent. I was just not myself, and I I just thought if this is what life's like, fuck that. Like I don't want to be part of that. Um, so you know what you know what I reckon saved me, Mel, is spring. And it might sound weird, but I was going through all this through winter. Yeah. And the smell of the clovers, the warmer weather, I started to get hay fever again because of the pollen, so I knew the beach and that was going to be around the corners, yeah. just little things. And then with that, um, I went, well, with, with, with going to the beach and all that is taking your shirt off and stuff, so it's important to go back to the gym. <laughs> right you're such a boy so I did that but I was doing it early in the morning yeah because I ended up enrolling in a personal training course which was early in the morning too so I had to get that done first yeah anyway so I'm creating this well-being model habits, that I didn't yeah. even know yeah right? I didn't even know um, and this is in my mid-twenties yeah so I stopped creating healthy habits now you're turning super it around healthy yeah. habits and and you know so I'm into that so with the gym came eating healthier being around more motivated people, yes. um, positive people, um, and then your self-worth. You're seeing results at the gym. Your endorphins, your dopamine levels are good. People are asking to go out for coffees rather than meet them out in the club to get on the vodka Red Bulls and yeah. the gear. Um, sleeping better at night because I'm not out partying or I'm not sedated by alcohol. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, with the studying, I had a bit of a drive and a focus for a career. Yeah. And then the last sort of bit of the, the well-being model that I've created was the... F the financial side, you know, and that's putting money away to go on holidays. And I went and did my did my first holidays to Thailand. And I oh, went to awesome. to the Gold Coast, and I was starting to live life. And then from there, once you put that out of the universe, I could finally meet someone. Yeah. And I finally found that I was probably deserving of to be loved. You know, I thought that I was such a bad person and such a such a traumatized person with so many issues that maybe I wasn't lovable. So, yeah, so, so I met a few girls along the way, but ultimately got married to my wife, Amanda, and um, that was when she probably took me into becoming a better person because I became a parent and I had a meaning, a really strong meaning to live for. Yeah. Do you remember um, that point where you became a father? It's just... <laughs> it terrif it's terrifying becoming a parent. Oh, mate! You know what? I, t I say it to people all the time. It was I was twenty eight. Yeah. But I never thought I'd be a parent. I'd never considered it. See, Amanda wanted kids something fierce, like she wanted it really badly. If I hadn't met her, I don't know if I would have had kids because all I wanted to do was make money and travel around and meet. Like I had this thing in my mind that there was like really hot women around the world <laughs> so i wanted to go and meet them all Still a bit of the <laughs> but i knew i needed money to yeah. do that and i needed to look good and feel good and yeah. um then i met her and she came into my life when i totally unexpected it and i don't regret a single thing because i think she saved me experience todd's 21 day reset with a program personalized to you Feel better mentally, physically, sleep soundly, experience positive relationship shifts and achieve your career goals. Go to loveyourmind.com.au forward slash 21 day challenge offer and embrace a growth mindset. Yeah. 
tell us about life as a dad and oh yeah life as a dad so um we found out early that i was having a boy and i couldn't believe my luck because all i thought of while i found out that amanda was pregnant was to have a boy because i was going to play footy with him and <laughs> wrestle with him and like do heaps of fun heaps stuff because yeah. i'm because i'm a fucking lunatic right like i'm a silly boy you're a fun person yeah super yeah. fun and an adults get a bit boring at some point yeah so i don't, I don't think i'll ever be an adult <laughs> I, I just i don't think i will but um yeah so i was super excited we found out early because we didn't have a lot so we wanted to prepare so we wanted to get a bedroom set up for a boy um and then so he came along and i mean it's 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 really hard to explain isn't it watching your wife uh give birth Actually, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was still my girlfriend. We, we fell pregnant pretty early and um, just seeing that level of um, strength. And then you hold this baby and you cut the umbilical cord and, oh, fuck, man. It, it, it almost makes, you, you almost pass out with some sort of overwhelming feeling. Yeah. It's, it's love and terror oh, mixed together. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. And, and maybe something else that I'm not sure what, it, what that is. but Feels spiritual, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like you've just given away your life to be someone else's life. Yeah, and you have really. You Actually, do. I do everything for your kids. Gosh, I do. Um, I walked my dog uh, down the park. Um, your dog's really cute. What's up? Yeah, dog? yeah, Rocky. Yeah, but I had another one, Jake, who looked just like him. And I went home while Amanda was in the hospital, pregnant, and I knew that she was due to give birth. It was going to be that day. They told us if you didn't do it by two p.m. Um, they're going to induce her. Is that what it's called? Yep, yeah. Yep. So I took him down to the park and I was like, Rocky boy, this is the last time. It's just going to be us, buddy. Like, I'm going to come home and there's going to be a whole family here. So that was a real defining moment. Yeah. And then as soon as Tyler was And you was still born, remember that I, I that do. I remember the dog. grass being wet, how dark yeah. green it was. It's amazing, I have got the best memory. When, you, when I had him, yeah, that just changes your whole life because you, you go up there as someone and you come back as someone else. Yeah. To the hospital, I mean. Tell us about your journey through fatherhood and how you decided, made that conscious decision to stop the genetic, the epigenetics that had come before you and be a different dad. Yeah. I think because I love Ty so much um, and we did, we just did things so well together, it's like um, we became best mates. I never got to have that with dad because he was too busy worrying about other stuff like I would leave work early to go to kids' readings and I would leave, I would not go to work just so I could go and watch him do a cross-country run at primary school just because it was one kilometre. I wanted him to make sure he felt safe that I was there uh, and also to make sure he won too because yeah. <laughs> I used to train him pretty hard. But um, I sacrificed so much income and money and, and so did Amanda because we're so, she's on the same page as me. You know, like yeah. We've got a lot of things wrong together along our way but one thing we've done is just um invest in the kids invested in the kids and you don't get money back from that but you know how you tell you get happy children yeah yeah and they come to you have your kid do your kids come to you when they're having drama yeah and to answer your question before about breaking that genetic thing yeah because we're so close as mates we've always had a thing where if there's anything to be disciplined on or talked about we just go sit out the back on this seat so I'd say it near my pool and I'll say, Ty, we need to go and have a talk, mate. And he, he heads straight to the seat and I just follow him. And you just look at him and you think, how could you be physical with someone like that that you care so deeply for? 
And they're your whole world. Like, I don't know how my dad could come and pick me up by the neck and punch me in the face or stand over me and try and put his foot over my neck and try and stop me getting up. Like, and there's been situations there where, where you, you feel heated or escalated at home and, and you wonder, like, if this, this inner demon's going to take over and you, you're terrified of it, hey. Through therapy and that, I've, I've learned to walk away, breathe, and really try and work on think first, act second. Because for most of my childhood and early years, it was always act first, think second. Um, so, you were just running on instinct. Yeah, and fear. Because if you knew something was going to happen, you, you wanted to strike first so that it never happened. You know what I mean? But yeah, so I've never, never had to be physical with the kids because I don't have it in me. Um, and then I had a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe my luck I had the pigeon pair. Yeah, that's cool. Fuck, best thing ever. Um, that's totally different love now. See, now I can parent. I'm parenting as a real role model and um, a figure that Ty sort of has to look up to. And this is, life isn't all rainbows, mate. This is hard. And you've got to do this to, to be who you want to be. And then you've got this little daughter. You're like, oh, it's okay. Look, I'll do it for you. It's, you've got a bigger brother there. You just let him, like, and I'm just being so gentle with her. That's so good. But um, it's sort of like you've got, well, you're playing makeup and dolls <laughs> one moment and then you're going and fucking letting you, you're jumping off the roof into the pool <laughs> doing these Manu bombs um, because that's what I've got. I've got a, a crazy boy and I've got a super sweet girl. <laughs> so I went, got the vasectomy a couple of weeks later because I didn't want to have any, I didn't want to fuck it up now. I had the best. <laughs> <laughs> so... What was life looking like when you decided, hold on, I've got over or I've worked through this massive trauma in my life. I've got myself to a completely different space. I've become a dad that's nothing like the father I experienced growing up. I want to share this with other people and help them work through stuff. What did that look like for you when that penny dropped? Um, Well, before that penny dropped, I still fucked up and made bad mistakes so some people most people think that what's in your bank account's important what you drive what where you live and so did I so I didn't realize how rich I was and happiness with what I had I wanted more and I wanted I thought that my family deserved luxurious things as well that would make them happy so I slipped into the wrong path um, and I finally had consequences for that eventually down the track and I nearly lost everything I nearly lost what was really important to me, which was my kids and my wife and what I had. Um, And it wasn't until I was standing in front of a a judge who was looking at sentencing me that I, that was when the penny dropped. You know, that was when the penny dropped and I thought if I can, if I could just go home today to my family, I'll make some changes from here. Um, And I got to, you know, I, I had a pretty intensive correction order that I had to still serve. A lot of community service, but I was given a second chance. Um, and I was still doing some personal training. And I was doing some training on the Central Coast with a group, fitness group. And I trained a guy down there who was, um, he wrote procedures in a, in a hospital over in the UK. He's very, very wealthy. And he had this huge house at Toon Bay. Um, and we were talking, we used to talk after, after training all the time. And I used to think, you know, is this dude just heaps rich and lonely or... Like, why was he hanging around the beach all day just drinking coffee? And long story short, he, he he had the same thoughts, except he did it 
he did it through work. So he went overseas nine months a year to work and send money home because he thought his wife and kids wanted money. Um, and they really just wanted his time. And unfortunately for Dave, he um, his wife left him and took the kids and turned them against him as a non-present father. And he lives in this mansion at Swoon Bay, so lonely and so sad with all this money in the bank. And all he wants to do is spend his time with me and pay me to sit there with him and drink coffee, right? And I always thought about that as I was going through this. And I thought, that's not, that's not what life's about. I had everything I needed. I didn't have a lot of money, but that wasn't what it was about. And I got that second chance and um, still don't have a lot of money, but I've got fuck everything I need. Yeah. Yeah. Are you the owner of a company or in management? Do you want to motivate your team, aid their performance, establish well-being and accelerate your bottom line? Sign up as a team and reap the benefits. Email contact at loveyourmindaustralia.com.au with the subject, help my team today. We were with each other earlier and you said, hey, we've made it to this point. Yeah. We've got everything we need. Well, we have great conversations, you and I, off microphone. And um, when you said to me, do you think me just chasing this, do you think I'm just being greedy? And I said, yeah, Mel, because look at your life now. Like, you've got absolutely everything. And when I say everything, it's the life that you've created to this point. You did that, not with money, just just with working out who you want to be and surrounding yourself in that environment and now you actually do we both do have everything we need so if we have to do another 43 years which let's hope we do with health um we don't need money to do that we just need i guess our own personalities to keep going we made it this far surely the next 43 years can't be any worse 100 <laughs> they, they should be better yeah i've seen the work you've done with companies and your 21 day challenge and the effect that's had on the people around you and the people you're working with Mm -hmm. do you love that work you yeah yeah. look look, that's that's the next best thing that i'm proud of now is the impact that i'm having in the community and and people in general so yes obviously i i didn't realize i was creating my own well-being model when i was down and out Um, but i picked myself up and and i looked at that as i got older and i thought okay that's how i did it this is how other people can do it but i need some substance around that to be able to go and do it. So I went and did some qualifications and here I am today as the founder of Love Your Mind Australia. And yeah, it's it's actually going really well. It's only four months in, but everyone said you need to be patient to build a business and, and they're right. I didn't think that was the truth until it's actually happening. But every day is a win for me and we're moving forward and it's still the ultimate success is seeing someone else benefit from your advice and living better. That's what I'm most proud of as well. What have been some of the individual successes you've had with individuals and also with some of the bigger corporations you've worked with? Yeah, well, there's a few I've got. I had a a young Indigenous boy that was, I didn't realise how depressed he was um, and some of the cultural stuff that he was faced with. um, We sort of sat down and we spent a lot of time on himself and following the particular model that I follow. And it's just a daily checklist that he does and, um, I, I've said to him, you know, there's two people in this world, there's victims or there's victors. Um, and he's chosen to break that cultural um, background where he's sort of stuck in what his father did and his father did, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and he's living really well to a point now where he's, um, and I won't say who he is, but he's actually um, well known now as a young junior sportsman and wow. he, he will have a huge future. But 
I started that and I hope I can continue that with him. Um, and then like in, in organizations too, I did, uh, did my 21 day challenge, which is online. I did it with Salt Real Estate up here in Newcastle. Yeah. Um, Linda Lallan brought her whole team on board and they, they did the challenge with us and they found that um, their productivity, um, their sales, um, they all went up because of their growth mindset. Um, they improved their team meetings by not just having them offices, they'd go out and do them outdoors and um, just little things that they've implicated now in their business for life. Um, and they're flourishing from it. So, you know, I've, I've, I've taught people what cold therapy can do for your body as much as they don't want to get into ice baths, um, starting their day making a harder choice rather than an easy choice. Yeah, the data is definitely out on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of my stuff's about making the harder choice for the better choice. Yeah. All right, so people can check me out at loveyourmindaustralia.com.au or they can follow me on Instagram and... I've actually got a 21-day challenge about to come up and start again. So it's just the space I'm in is where I was meant to be. I was meant to be here a long time ago. I just took the long road to get here. But that's what makes the journey so special. Thanks for telling your story. Thanks for having me, Mel. Have you triumphed over adversity? We'd love to hear from you. DM Love Your Mind Australia on Instagram or reach out to us at loveyourmind.com.au.